I tell you, what a great song. Just talking about the reality that so many of us have experienced as we get older, that it's really hard as an adult to make the kind of friends like you had when you were young. It's just different. Things just change as we get older and life kind of takes over. And, and uh, you know, we want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, we started a series last week called Formed. And really what we're looking at is, is four extremely influential parts of our lives that God uses to form us and shape us into the way we see ourselves and the way we make our decisions um, currently in our lives and how we've made them in the past and how we will in the future. Last week we talked about our families of origin, and today is all about how your friends, your friends from your past, your friends in your present, and your friends in your future really have formed you into who you have been, who you are now, and who you will be. Huge part of the way that God designed us to be formed is through other people. We spend our lives being influenced for good and for bad um, by the people around us. I grew up um, partially in a place called Bridge City, Texas during my middle school years. Um, my stepdad was a maintenance guy and a manager at an apartment complex that we lived at. One of my best friends at the time was a guy named James. He lived in the apartment complex, and he was one year older than me, so I kind of looked up to him. Um, I was a quiet kid, kind of kept to myself. I didn't have a ton of friends in middle school, but James um, was one of my only friends at the time, and therefore he kind of by default became my best friend. Um, but he was into a couple things that I wasn't into at the time. He was into dipping and smoking cigarettes. Um, I didn't do that stuff, but over time, being around James and him regularly inviting me to do it, giving me stuff, I started and I began dipping. And I don't know if you've ever dipped before, but man, it is rough. I'm just telling you, um, you swallow when you're supposed to spit and you're like going to fall on the floor, pass out or puke, like one of the two. Um, but I saw, so I started doing that. Why? Because of James. That was the only reason why James had it. James gave it to me. And so I did that because I was around James. Now, the other thing that I had that was really uh, rough when I was a kid is I had really, really bad asthma. I mean, the kind of asthma that you would like go to the hospital for when it got really bad. Well, um, James was per, per, you know, persistent and he was committed to me smoking. So guess who, even though I have asthma, knew it was bad for me, smoked. I did. I mean, even though, uh, even though I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, James did it and he kept giving it to me. And so I tried it. I could only do both of them for like a month. I dipped for a month. I couldn't handle it anymore. I smoked for a month. I couldn't handle that anymore. Um, and in fact, I ended up hating doing both of them, even though I tried it. But here's the reality um, of, of this whole deal. This was interesting to me. At the time, I knew about lip cancer. I'd heard about it, read about it. They were scaring you like crazy at school. I, I knew about the tar that smoking put into your lungs. I, I'm, I'm talking back in the day. Smoking was a big deal back then. Back in the day when they would give you, you guys remember, some of you older people like me, um, they would give you, they had a torso that was clear, and then they had a set of lungs inside the torso that was clear, and they would put cotton in it, and then they would put a cigarette in the mouth and pump it with an air pump, and you would watch the tar go on the lungs, and they're like, that's what you're doing to your lungs when you smoke, kids, you know, and you're like, I don't want to do that. So I knew all the stuff. I knew about lung cancer. I knew everything there was. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew if I got caught, I would get the biggest whipping of my life, but I still did it. Why? Because of good old James, my buddy James, my friend James. Now, fast forward into high school. My freshman, sophomore year of high school, I was a C and D student. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. We moved in my freshman year, and you know how it is when you move in as a freshman to a new high school. It's difficult. I struggled with my grades. 
um, until my junior year, I became best friends with a guy named Brock Tully. He introduced me to his friends, and his group of friends became my group of friends, and Brock became my best friend. Now, the thing about this group of friends is they were all of the cool and smart students in the school. There was a whole pack of like eight or ten of them that I became a part of. Um, and let me just tell you something interesting that happened to me. Um, I was never able to pull off the cool part, okay? I never became cool, never have been, never will be. But the smart part, my grades changed. My junior, senior year, I made straight A's from being a CD student. And let me just tell you how bad of a student I was my freshman, sophomore year. I made straight A's and B's my junior and senior year. And doing that for two straight years got my GPA up to, at the end of high school, a 2.67 with straight A's and B's for two years. That's how low my GPA was. Well, here's what's interesting about Brock and his friends. One of them was a valedictorian of our class. Another one was a salutatorian of our class. And so I started making straight A's and B's my junior and senior year, not because my study habits changed, which they did, um, not because I tried harder which I actually did try harder, um, not because I cared more, because I began to care more. My grades changed because my friends changed. That is why my grades changed, 100%, because my friends changed. And let me just tell you this. Would you believe that I am as influenced now by my friends as I was then? And so are you. You are as influenced by your friends now as you were back then when you think, well, that was a long time ago. You know, maybe I'm a little wiser now. Maybe I'm a little different. No. You are as influenced now by your friendships as you were back then if you're young, if you're old like me and you're looking back and saying that. So here I want to give you some things to think about. First off is this. Where you're at in your life is the sum of three things, your relationships with people and with God, your experiences and your decisions. Where you're at in your life right now, it is the sum of your relationships, your experiences, and your decisions. And the amazing thing is the first one has a whole lot to do with the second two, doesn't it? The experiences you have, think back on your life, the experiences that you've had and the decisions that you make are directly influenced by the people you're in relationship with. That's just the way life works. The three most important categories of relationships we have are relationship with God, relationship with family, relationship with friends. And I will just bet, if you were to think back to your greatest victories and your greatest regrets that you have in your life, they are attached to a person. Because that's the way life works. Our friends are some of the most influential and powerful people in our life. They have the power to nudge us in one direction over another. Bad friends have the power to influence us into our biggest regrets. Good friends have the power to prevent us from regrets, but also take us to new heights as well. And so I want to give you three um, verses that, that just really kind of lay this out. It's throughout Scripture, this idea. But I'll give you three from different parts of the Bible, um, or from two parts of the Bible. First is 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Um, the Apostle Paul, um, he wrote a majority of the New Testament. He uh, was one of the one of the great uh, church planters in history. We have a church in this country. You can trace it all the way back to Paul's journey to Rome from the from Israel to Rome, where he planted churches there. He wrote this, 1 Corinthians 15:33. Don't be misled. Don't think it's any different than this. Trust me in this. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And I'll just put it this way. Don't worry, my shoe is untied. I will not trip. Uh, but it's like if, when, with me standing on front of the stage, I'm about 210 pounds, mostly muscle, standing up on this stage right now. You put a 100-pound person down there, there's a good chance they can yank me off of this stage. But it's a whole lot harder for me to pull them up onto this stage. Easier for them to pull me down than me to pull them up. And this is just what Scripture is saying. Look, bad company corrupts good character. 
You start hanging out with people that live down there, there's a good chance you're going to end up down there. A whole lot better chance of you ending up down there than you pulling them up to where you're at. And that's just the way scripture says it. It's like, hey, bad company corrupts good character. You start hanging out with people that don't have good character, chances are you won't either. That's a way of life. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools, suffer harm. It's the same thing. It's like, look, you want to become wise? Hang out with wise people. You rub off on each other. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We are designed by God to live independent on God and on other people. And this is so hard for so many of us because we live in a society and in a culture, we worship independence. We worship striking out on your own, being your own man, being your own woman. We worship that we think that is the goal. Well, we can, that's how we need to live our life when really the way God designed us is to be in, live independent on him and other people. And this is not just a Christian position or belief. It's a human reality. Um, uh, the psychiatrist Edward Hallowell, he wrote this in his book called The Power of Human Connection. He says, for most people, the two most powerful experiences in life are achieving and connecting. Connecting has to do with our relational world. Achieving has to do with our accomplishments. Our society is increasingly devoted to, obsessed with, and enslaved by achieving, and increasingly bankrupt and impoverished when it comes to connecting. So it's ironic that achievement for its own sake has be kind, of, kind of become an idol in our society. I've never known anyone who failed at relationships yet had a meaningful and joy-filled life, not a single person. This past century was littered with people who achieved great things but never connected, people who accumulated vast amounts of wealth, fame, or power but never acquired an open heart, people who had a full list of contacts but not one single friend. Every one of them died with bitter regrets, every one. And so here's a problem that many of us have is we are not intentional enough about our relationships to find the right people and put them in the right places in our life. Let me describe that a little bit. A lot of us, um, a lot of us, we go to church. Um, you know, we go to church once a week. If you go every week, gold star, right? Um, some of us we go to church every other week, silver star. Twice a month, silver star. Some of us we go to church once a week, no star. Okay, so we, but but what we do is, so we attend church. We come to church. We tend to focus on relationships that are high on acceptance and invitation, but low on challenge or accountability. So think about your relationships. We tend to focus on relationships that are high on acceptance and invitation, low on challenge or accountability. We keep people out of the areas of our life that we struggle in. And we talk infrequently enough with the people we do know for it not to really make a difference. Because more and more, we are beginning to be people that even our good friends, we talk to them more like this than like this. You would be shocked if you looked at the way you communicate with some of your best friends or you would call them your best friends and you communicate with them more like this than you do like this. It's crazy the way our society is going. So because of that, you and I tend to stay the same year to year. We don't really grow very much as people, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as followers of Jesus. And so I want to take a story, uh, part of the story of King David. I want to use part of his story to talk about what we need in our life. And what you need in your life, I need in my life, and what I believe God wants to put in our life. Because there's a truth that is true no matter what you think. This is just a truth about life, and that's this. Men need a community of men to become God's man. And women need a community of women to become God's woman. 
Men, we need a community of men around us to become God's man. And women, we need a community of women around us to become God's woman. And when I say God's man or God's woman, I mean the kind of man or the kind of woman that God created you to be. A unique, strong, blessed, joy-filled, impactful, victorious, relationally healthy, no-regret kind of man or woman. That's what God wants you to be. That's who God has created you to be. And I'll just speak for me, and I believe I'm speaking for all of us. Um, I need other men in my life to support me and challenge me and lift me up if I'm going to become that. And I believe, women, you need the same. I need others in my life besides my wife and besides my family to help me accomplish the mission that God has for me. And I'll just tell you, you've got a mission that God has for your life. Whether you know it or not, whether you've figured out what that is or not, God has a mission as to why he created you. You're going to have a hard time filling that out without other men and other women in your life to help you get to that mission. So I want to jump into this part of the story of David that I want to share, and I want to talk about what kinds of people we're looking for and talk about friendships and what a true friendship looks like. And I would love for you to just take notes or just lodge them in the back of your mind because these, this is what really we long for deep inside. Um, King David, he's one of the most looked up to characters in the Bible. He had great successes horrible failures, but he's still described in scriptures as a man after God's own heart, um, and God loved him. And so his story has a little bit of everything in it. He was anointed by God to be king at a very young age. He killed Goliath as a teenager and became instantly famous. He was like a teenage um, sensation. Um, he becomes a servant of the king at the time, who was King Saul, and then he becomes one of the most successful army commanders that Israel had ever had um, in, in their history. Um, other nations were terrified of him because God was on his side, David led hundreds of thousands of troops. Like that's the kind of leader that he was. Songs were written about him and his exploits. Um, and then he marries the king's daughter. I mean, this guy has it all, right? It's like he's got it all going on in his life. He's next to be king and then his life falls apart. Saul, the king, becomes jealous of David. Saul turns David's army against him. David becomes a fugitive. And Saul is hunting him down. Now, there's a long story there that we're not going to get into, but David eventually becomes king. It is fascinating reading in First and Second Samuel. But here's what I want to get to. Through his early years, before he became king, there is one relationship that David had that was above and beyond and, and central to his becoming God's man for the job. And as I walk you through these passages, I want to highlight what true friendship looks like. In the, uh, so let me just set up the passage we're about to read. David had just finished killing Goliath, um, the giant. Goliath had taunted Israel's armies for months. Um, in one, he did it in one-on-one -on -one battle. So David goes out at like a 14, 15-year-old kid, and with a sling, he like kills Goliath and then takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off, right? It's like, this is like, who says the Bible's boring? Awesome stuff. Go read it. Um, Saul, Saul this, so David does that. Saul brings him in to talk to him. And then we find this, 1 Samuel 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And it's right here that David meets Jonathan and they just click. Have you ever had a friend that you met and it was like that? You were like just best friends. It seems like it was overnight. You became best friends with them. This happens with David and Jonathan and we start seeing what true friendship looks like. First off, I highlighted the king's son. He met Jonathan, who was the king's son. Um, you know, it was dangerous for Jonathan to be friends with David because David was rising in prominence. Well, what does that tell you? True friends sacrifice for you. 
Jonathan was sacrificing for David and being friendships with him and, 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 and creating that bond. Um, he made a solemn pact with David. He made a promise to David that he would be there for David and be his friend and protect David. True friends keep their promises when they make them to you. It says that, that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. What does that say? True friends love unconditionally. That's what true friends do. Verse 4, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistines, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. And I highlighted in there where Jonathan gave David his sword, bow, and belt. What that really symbolizes is just true friendship sharpen each other. True friends sharpen one another. So all the women from all the towns come out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And this made Saul very angry. And this is one of those moments where if it was there was a movie, you would have Saul out there, and he'd be like, oh, the ladies are coming out to sing songs about me. Saul's killed his thousands there. He's like, that's right. And David has killed his ten thousands. What? <laughs> that's just what, it's like one of those moments where it's like you could just see him go, and just get angry, like just started seeping into his bones. David's more popular than Saul. People want to follow David more than Saul. So Saul gets angry, jumped to the very next chapter, one chapter later, um, less than a chapter later, 1 Samuel 19. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. And here's what's incredible about this friendship. <clears throat> Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. It was his kingdom. David is winning over the people. He's already anointed by God. And here is Jonathan. If he doesn't tell David, guess what? Jonathan's the next king. But Jonathan goes and says, David, I need to tell you something. There's something going on. And he begins to defend David. And as I highlighted that Jonathan told David what was going on. Why? Because true friends are loyal. True friends are just loyal, sometimes when it costs them. Verse 4, the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan as and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. And you find that actually Jonathan helped save David's life. And when, when it just says, when Jonathan's going to the king and saying, the king must not sin and do this, what is it? True, friend, true, true friends risk themselves to protect you. They're willing to put themselves at risk to protect you. The king could have killed Jonathan for treason, for arguing against the order, but Jonathan was willing to risk the king's anger to protect his friend David. And so let me just ask you, with the things that I just listed, do you have anyone in your life right now besides family that would do what Jonathan did for David for you? Do you have anybody besides family that would do what Jonathan did for David for you? And I'll just tell you, over 85% of guys in this room, and if I were to be able to sit eye to eye and knee to knee with every single one of you, 85% of men say they don't have one true guy friend outside of the friends they had in high school. 
85% of guys right now say, will say, if they're honest, and this is, this is done by a poll of thousands of guys, they don't have one true guy friend other than the friends they had in high school. As men, we meet a lot of acquaintances, but rarely do we have true friends, especially in our adult lives, where the people that know us, that you're actually close to, and I would say this in an area like this, some of you women, you women struggle with this here specifically in, in this area because it's so transient and people are from different parts of the country. It's not very easy to have super deep friendships here. It's very easy for your closest friends to be out of state for many people that, that live in Florida. Well, let me just make this clear. None of us can become God's man or God's woman without a community of men or women around us. You can't. You won't. None of us can become God's man or God's woman. The, 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 the man or woman that God has designed you, created you, has dreamed you could be. You can't become that without a community of men or women around us. And what you read is, as you read David's story, and I would encourage you to do it, you, not, you find that not only was Jonathan like that with David, but John, David had what they call his, his, uh, the, the 30. He had 30 men around him, and then three inside that 30 that just had his back, that were all about being there with David. Um, they aided him in becoming God's man to lead Israel. And so I want to give you three qualities um, uh, that the people around David, that David needed around him and that you and I need around us. They're the kind of people that you're looking for. And when you find them, you pull them in close and you hold on tight because they're going to help you become who God intended you to be. Um, and so I want to start with uh, grabbing something out of my bag here. I just brought some, so, some things to use as illustrations for the kind of people that we need in our life. And as I talk about this, I want you to think through and rifle through your friends you have right now in your life. See if any, if you you have any of these right now yet. Um, and if you don't, uh, I'll tell you what to do with that afterwards. But the first kind of people we need in our life are represented by this mirror. Um, and I love this. I can totally just get all of you right now. This is my, my fun. I did this last service. Isn't this great? Look at you over there. Um, but anyways, um, th this mirror, what this represents is we need people that are willing to speak truth to us. We need people that are, are willing to look at us and tell us what they see really what they see, not what they think we want to hear, but what they see. We need people to, to talk to us about our blind spots. We need people are, that are willing to, to reflect us to us and tell us about the wake that we leave behind us and some of the decisions that we make, because rarely do we look back and see some of the damage or destruction or things we leave in our, in our, behind us. Uh, we need people to talk to us about the turmoil that happens around us and the way that we're living our life and the things that we're up to. Chuck Swindoll, I love it. He's a great author, Christian author. He, uh, he says it this way. He's like, do you have anyone who tells you that you're full of it? Like, does he, do you have anybody in your life that just tells you you're full of it? Do you have anybody that, 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 can, that legitimately looks at you and says, says, no, you're off the deep end here. Scripture tells us we need people like this. Proverbs 27, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So we need people in our life that are committed to being a mirror for us. That'll look at us and tell us what they see. We need people that'll look at us and go, hey, you're, you're drinking too much. This is the third or fourth time, and it's just time. You need to hear me. We need people to tell us that. We need people to say, hey, the way you're talking about your wife or your husband is not honoring it's not honoring to them. It's not honoring to, to God. We need people in our life that are willing to look at us and say, you're not being honest. In fact, you're lying to me right now. And I just don't want to keep letting you get away with it because you need some honesty and some truth. We need people that will just say, hey, you have, you have huge 
you have a huge, massive booger hanging off your right nostril. Like, you need somebody to say that to you. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you get in your car and you look in the mirror and it's like the Empire State Building's hanging off your nostril and you're just like, I talked to five people and no one said anything. We need people that'll do that. We don't like it, but we need it. We need people to be a mirror. We need someone to tell, tell uh, us the truth about ourselves. And let me just tell you why you need somebody like this. It's impossible for you to see yourself like other people see you. Even looking in a mirror, do you see, you realize when you look in a mirror, you see a reversed image of yourself? You don't even see what other people see when they look at you. It's impossible for you to see what other people see when they look at you. Because all we see ourselves in is mirrors. And so we need other people to give us the real story, what's really going on, because we don't always see what's actually there. And let me tell you, when you find someone that's willing to be a mirror to you, I want to I tell you how you need to view them. You need to view them as a gift from God. They are a gift from God. And you need to hold on to them and do anything you can to build a relationship with them. You need them. Listen to them. Learn from them. I've always heard it this way. A true friend stabs you in the front. In fact, I said it this last service. It's a little bit graphic. But a true friend looks you in the eye as the blade goes in. Because it, hurt, it hurts hearing the truth sometimes. But man, when someone's willing to be in that with you, look you in the eye as the blade goes in, it's a totally different thing than when people stab you in the back. True friends stab you in the front. If we're going to become God's man or God's woman, we need people in our life that will care enough about us to be mirrors. So that's the first one. Second type of person that you need in your life is represented by um, these bad boys right here. And uh, let's see here. This is what I got. These are my son's track pants. <laughs> well, actually, these are spandex, okay? These are spandex. You know what spandex gives you? Support. Support, okay? That's what, this is what this represents. We need people. Here. We need people in our life to support us, that will support us in the good times and the bad, people that will encourage us in the good times, cheer us in the good times, and carry us in the bad times. We need people like that. When we go into battle with people like that, we, we're comforted because we know they're there with us and they have our backs. And let me just ask you, imagine what your struggles might look like if you had someone in your group a group of people in your life or someone in your life that really knew what you struggle with, really knew what you struggle with. And let me just be real with, with, with us in the room. It's like, could you imagine, um, this for maybe some of you guys, imagine how your battle with pornography would be going if you weren't alone. Because someone else actually knew. Imagine what your marriage might look like if you had people encouraging you and listening to you and, and talking to you about the struggle and pointing you back to Christ or pointing you back to, to hopefulness. Imagine what your life might be like if you were supported by people that were kind of champions in their lives and could look at you and tell you that things were going to be okay someday, that they maybe even have been through what you've been through and you found support from them. We need people in our lives that will just support us when we need it. And I'll tell you, I have a number of friends here at Kensington that have been with me since before we launched, like right around eight and a half, nine years ago. And they have supported me through this entire journey. And I'm telling you, there were some moments in here a few years in that I don't think I would have made it through without their support. They just had my back. I can't explain why. I really still can't explain why, but they just did. God just gave them to me. Um, they, were, they were my spandex. I know that might be a little weird, but that's just what they were to me. 
So we need people like that. And now before I give you the third one, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys can come on forward, um, we're going to receive this. And for those of you that are new, um, I want you to just let the basket go by. We're not interested in your finances at all. We're just glad you're here. This service is our gift to you, actually. Um, I hope you're enjoying it so far. Um, if you, if you, uh, you know, and, and for those of you that, that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. Um, and in doing so, um, you know, we're saying thank you. And also, I trust you, God, with even my resources. And so thank you for those of you that give to us on a regular basis online and um, just support the mission that we're on. So we need a mirror in our life. We need um, support in our life. And the third type of person that we need is represented by this bad boy right here. All right, this is a scale. Don't you guys love these? Aren't these the best? These can be your friend or your enemy. I think it's most people's enemies. But this really represents what we need, um, how we need people to help us change. This scale represents accountability. Like once you get on this thing, the numbers don't lie, do they? Like the number is the number. They are what they are. That's why so many people don't get on them. I have had times where I walk past them and I'm like, I don't want to get on it. In fact, a month ago, I got on this thing and... Um, there was a number on this thing I had never seen in my life before when I was on a scale. And you know what my first thought was? No one will ever know about this moment. <laughs> like It was just like, no one will know this. And then I'm like, I had to make fun of myself. So I think I told my wife and a couple of my kids. Um, but but there's, there's something about, um, about a scale, about accountability that changes how we live our lives. It's like losing weight. It's a crazy battle. Um, I was talking to the Orlando Magic uh, two nights ago at chapel, and uh, I was sharing with them a little bit about this. And I'm like, you guys are young, and you're running around like crazy. You just wait till you hit 30 and then 40, and you stop playing this sport. Like, you're going to be battling your weight, just like the rest of us, you know? And so, but, but it's like, you need accountability if you're going to lose weight. It is a battle. Weight Watchers is all about accountability, working out, losing weight, giving up drinking, changing your lifestyle, following God. We need accountability if we're going to actually follow through on it. That's why we need other people to literally see the number that's on the scale. Like you need somebody looking over your shoulder when you get on and going, <laughs> you need somebody going, man, I think we got some work to do. You need somebody going, I've never seen that number either. You know, it's like, that's what you need. Galatians 6, 2 and 3, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love how blunt scripture is sometimes. And let me just talk to you from a Christian perspective. We need men and women around us who are Christ-like, who are Christ-like. In Christian circles, another word for people like that are, are accountability partners. We need accountability partners, and I think that's not a very cool name, so maybe we call them accountability warriors, right? We need a warrior in our life. Go get an accountability one. Because every one of us, if we're going to become the man or the woman that God wants us to be, we're going to need accountability in our life. You see, and I'll tell you why, because the tendency is, as we get older, um, we begin to get very good at something um, that some of us do as, as our lifestyle, and that's as we just learn to hide. As we get older, we make choices we know are wrong. We make choices that people aren't going to agree about. And so we just kind of go underground. We hide. Sin does that. Um, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God showed up. And the first thing they did is they ran and hid from him. So the older we get, the more cognizant we get of the choices that we make and how they affect other people. And so a lot of us, we tend to withdraw and not have accountability. The older you get, the less accountability you have. And I'm just telling you, if you ever want to become God's man or woman, it's going to require you to move towards accountability. Somebody needs to know the number on the scale. 
And it's not just about holding you accountable to the bad stuff. It's the good stuff too. Some of the greatest moments of spiritual growth in my life have been because I've had accountability for the stuff I want to do. Reading God's word every day, praying on a regular basis, making sure that I'm, that, I, that I'm coming to church and hearing about the truth of who God is and who I am. Um, I, I've grown the most when I've had accountability partners that kind of did both. So one last truth for today. And that is this, and this applies to you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. It's this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so I got, a, I got some questions I want to ask you. Um, and I want to challenge you to answer honestly right now. And I want you to just kind of, if you can just kind of temporarily um, do a self-assessment right now, I want to ask you some questions. Do you have friends in your life right now that encourage you? that keep you accountable, that call you out and tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear it, that support you no matter what, that point you in the right direction towards your faith? Or do you have friends that if you're honest, they're a bad influence on you? They've held you back and they've affected your desired future who you should maybe start hanging around a little bit less and making them more of an acquaintance, as hard as that is to do. And then the last question I have for you are, would you be willing to pray that God would send the right people to you? Would you be willing to pray and ask God, God, I do not have some of these things in my life, and I know I need them and I want them. Would you send people to me? a person to me that can be this for me? Would you send me someone that will be an influence and champion my relationship with you above all else that would draw me closer to you? Would you send me somebody that would sharpen me and I could sharpen them and we could sharpen each other's faith? And I'll just, I'll just tell you this, because sometimes it's really hard to find people like that, especially in a place like this. And I'll just say this, if you're looking for somebody like that, you start praying that prayer. There are some incredible people in this room right now. What if, what if there's a mirror in this room for you right now? Someone that you might not have even connected with yet or already connected with, but you haven't gone there yet that God has put in your life to be a mirror. I'll just tell you the truth. What if right now there's a pair of spandex in here for you? And I mean that in the best way possible. What if there's just a person in here that's just willing to be a support for you through thick and through thin and you haven't met them yet, but they're here. Or maybe you've already met them, you just haven't gone there yet. What if right in this room, there is, there is a scale in here, somebody that will hold you accountable, that will help you become the best person you've ever been, the best version of yourself that you've ever been. And they're already here. See, part of the deal is, is that we need to be out seeking and asking God to bring those people to us. And if he already has, we need to develop that kind of relationship with them. Because God has great people waiting for you to help you become the person that he's dreamed and wants you to become. You just need to go out and find them and then pull them in and invite them in and pray for them. And I'll tell you, there's two ways to find them here that I'll just point you in the direction of real quickly. And that is our serving teams. Um, if you want to meet people around here and get connected, join one of our serving teams. We have a ton of them, and uh, two of my best friends when I was in college came from a serving team where I was serving at Kensington Church in Michigan um, on the tech team and on the student ministry teams. They became my best friends. I grew more because of those two guys than at any, than, than at any time up to that point in my life. 
and it came out of a serving team. And another way is just our small groups. We've got men's groups that meet regularly. There was a group that meets Saturday mornings, Tuesday mornings. Um, there's a number of others. There's women's groups. There's a women's retreat going on. Even if you don't know anybody, go on that women's retreat. God might just have someone there, a Jonathan to you, David, that is perfect for you. And I have one last, one last thing before I pray for us. And that is this. Um, the most important relationship you will ever have, the most important friendship you could ever have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you invite him in to be the Lord of your life. And you know what he brings? He's all three for us. He's a mirror to us. My relationship with Jesus, Jesus is a mirror to me where he points out things that he wants to work on. Kev, we need to work on this. We need to get on this. This needs to be, I want to work in this area. I'll give you the strength to do it. He is a support to me, constantly lifting me up. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget how loved you are. Don't forget that I've designed you for amazing things. My relationship with Jesus is a, is a scale to me. There's accountability there, the voice of the Holy Spirit in me that just says, hey, man, we've been around this block. Don't go around the mountain again. You know what's on the other side of this mountain. Don't step into this. Hey, let's, let's, let's increase some strength here in your life. Let's change you into this in your life. Like there, Jesus brings all of that in a relationship with him, and then he brings people into your life to help with those things. And so I'll just say this before I pray. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants you to become his man or his woman and be exactly what you've always wanted to be. He will change you. And mold you and form you into the you that you know you can become up here. You just have never quite gotten there. That's what I love about him when he uses other people to do it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Um, God, I thank you that you use other people in our lives to, to change us and to help us and to um, form us. And Lord, I pray right now for those in the room that as I was talking, they're just realizing that they don't have anybody, Lord. Or, or, or maybe they have a few people in their life, but there's just no depth there. Um, Lord, I pray for them right now because there's a loneliness in their life that maybe they don't think about or talk about much. Um, God, I pray that you would meet them in that right now. pray that you would meet them in that loneliness and just let them know that you're there. No one else is, you're there. God, I pray for others of us that right now we have some relationships, but if we're honest, they're just a little on the surface and they haven't gone to any depth. Lord, I pray that you would bring depth to those relationships so that you might start doing the work that only you could do through others in us and make us more like you. And God, for those in here right now and they have never started a relationship with you, God, I pray right now that you would open their heart and their mind allow them to invite you in in this moment to be their Lord and their Savior. And God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just bring everything they need to begin a new journey in their life that's spiritual and it's hard. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the friendships that we have and thank you for the way you want to use them to change us and mold us into the holy image of Jesus.